Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host, broadcasting from a secret location deep within my house. Anyway, this is part two of my Zoom interview with writer Billy Van Zant. Now, he has just written a terrific book about his adventures in the sitcom trenches called Get in the Car, Jane. If you missed part one, after you listen to this one, go back and check that one out. It's a very interesting ride that he and Jane have had in the uh, in the world of television comedy. Well, this week he talks a lot about pilots, creating a show, show running, and all of the craziness that comes with that and trying to maintain the quality of a series. So part two, Billy Van Zant this week on Hollywood and Levine. You did the first year of Martin. Talk a little bit about Martin Lawrence. We did. We got a phone call from uh, John Bowman, who, who co-created it, and he wanted to hire us. And uh, he said, do you know who Martin Lawrence is? And I immediately said, you mean the, uh, the, the art galleries that are in all the malls? And he said, no, it's a comedian named Martin Lawrence. I have never heard of him. They sent us a tape. It was the funniest thing in the world. And, and we said yes right away. But they made us promise we wouldn't quit because we had just come off of nurses. And I made them promise that I didn't have to pretend I was black when I wrote the scripts. I wasn't going to put in jargon and, you know, that I don't speak. And I didn't want to, it was, it seemed patronizing or something. So I said, you got a, a whole writing staff of black guys and, and ladies. And if something I write doesn't sound right, they'll fix it. And they said, okay. And that's what we did. Martin unbelievably was very much like Bob Newhart. One take, the audience in the bleachers was all that mattered. And, uh, and he was he was brilliant. He just was brilliant. He was a he was a pain in the neck sometimes. In what way? He, well, he. Uh, <laughs> I remember the first meeting we had. He uh, he insisted that um, he yelled at all of us. He said, "Why aren't the stand up and let the brothers sit down? Let the brothers sit down." And there was like, there aren't any black guys at this meeting. It's just us and you. Well, then you better go get some. So we send to the writer's room and the writing staff comes down. They have nothing to do with this meeting whatsoever. And they sit around on the chairs and we're all standing behind them now. And Jane leans over to Martin and says, you know, I'm the only girl here. Nobody seems to have a problem with that. And he just hated us a little bit more from that moment <laughs> on. <laughs> but uh, but we, had, we, had, we had a good time writing that show, uh, I will say. Uh, and, and the thing with Martin that I thought was pretty interesting is he was so, so naturally funny uh, it reminded me what i thought that um jackie gleason and, and uh audrey meadows must have been like because um 
I just blanked on her name. Jeez. Uh, the girl played Gina, Tisha Campbell. Jeez. Uh, she basically had to let Martin improvise wherever he felt like it and then find him amusing, find him sexy, and get back into the script somehow because we didn't stop the, the tape, you know? We just sure. kept going. And she was, she was brilliant at that, just really brilliant at that. But he was hilariously funny. Uh, but when he didn't like a script, oh, that was that was not pleasant. How was often showing, was that? Uh, towards the end of the first season, I would say every every week, <laughs> he would show up with sunglasses on. That told us he didn't like the script for the read through. <laughs> if he had sunglasses and a hood on, we knew he really hated it. And then the third thing he would do is he would suck on lollipops while he was reading the script with the sunglasses and the hoodie on. And that meant, watch out, he's going to come and scream at us all in a minute. And uh, so it was always an interesting day on the Martin show. But if week after week he hated the scripts, couldn't he convey to you just what it was that bothered him so that that wouldn't repeat week after week? Or it just no. was a different thing each week? It was, it was different every week. And he, after he would come into the writer's room and yell at us, he would drag a couple of his friends who were on the staff out into the hall, and we could hear him threatening to kill them if he didn't make the scripts funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ted Danson never did that to us. <laughs> Shelley Long never threatened us. <laughs> uh, well, you've worked with some uh, interesting stand-up comedians you also did bless this house with andrew dice clay what was the dice man like i really enjoyed him but he was out there he's 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 out there he had uh, he had come to our show from a six character a six episode um ralph macchio show that we uh bruce rasmussen had had created and we worked on and Andrew was going through a dry period where, you know, he, his stand-up act had offended quite a bit of women. So <laughs> Everyone. He dropped, he dropped the word dice out of his name, and he was Andrew Clay. And he, he did the Ralph Macchio show, and he was so hilariously funny that the Ralph Macchio show went away, and Andrew had his own deal to do a new show. Entered Bless This House. Uh, Bruce, um, Bruce Helford uh, created it, and then he created Drew Carey's show at the same at the same time. Couldn't run them both. Asked Jane and me to run Bless His House. Andrew was always funny. Never knew his lines, <laughs> uh, which irritated his co-star Kathy Moriarty a lot. She said, "I know how we can. I know how we get him to learn his lines." I said, "What? We refuse to pay him unless he can prove he knows his lines." I said, "Well, I don't think Good it's going to work." That. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every every Thursday was camera blocking day and he was supposed to have his lines memorized by then. But instead, he would find some some weird thing would be going on on the set and we'd be called down. Uh, he keeps swatting flies. and We don't know why, but he keeps swatting flies. And the next week would be he wants to speak in a Spanish accent. And the, it's like, what's going on here? And then we realize. <laughs> He, it gave him another day to learn his lines because he was he could get away with this stuff. Then we had Elaine Stritch on the show, which was one of my favorite weeks of any week we've ever had. Really? Because we had her on Cheers and fired her. She was so difficult. <laughs> we so fired difficult. her. <laughs> I loved it because the product she was giving us was great. But she was all over the place. Uh, she, she, she screamed uh, 
Get that couch out of my dressing room. You think I'm here to entertain people? That kind of stuff. Our show was pretty good. We got, we were great ratings. Uh, the reviews were good and we got killed because, um, I think he, either somebody at GE, somebody's wife didn't want him on the network anymore, or he, he must have refused to wear the postal uniform. He wanted to carry it on a, a hanger because he wanted to wear his leather. And, but, um, I did like I did like the product of what he gave us, but it was a lot of work to go get there. He too must be two people: the on Andrew Dice Clay guy and the other one. Absolutely, the the first uh, he had a party at his house uh, at the opening of the show, and uh, with his wife and his kid, and it was just a sweet little family who happened to say vulgar things to make a living, <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, we had, we had a good time with him, actually. Okay, now I'm going to talk about uh, a good experience you had okay. with an actress, and that is Brooke Shields. You guys did a hastily uh, conceived and put together pilot for Suddenly Susan. We did, we did. Um, I, had a, I had a great time with her, but we ended up firing us from the show. Um, the uh but it really wasn't fair because you guys were brought in like at the last minute given sort of an impossible task of casting and rewriting and putting this show together in like two weeks it's like like that's insane it's just insane fact that you did it we did it and we proved something to ourselves but i don't know what we ended up getting at well what you got was you got the show on the air we did. We did. We were asked, to, uh, there had been a one-camera show written by uh, Clyde Phillips, who was a very good writer, but he'd only done one hour. And um, Brooke liked that show, and they, NBC wanted to turn it into a comedy, and he didn't really know how to write a comedy. So uh, they brought us in, and we said, no, we can't. We, we can't. We're leaving. we got to play. We're doing Back East. Uh, we, can't, we can't do this. And they said, well, we just give notes to the president of the network and it's like well i don't i don't know the president of the network i've never worked for nbc but i don't really have a choice okay so we went and we gave the notes we walk into the meeting and there was what seems like 500 people in the room and and warren littlefield the president says uh we want to thank billy and jane for taking over suddenly susan (laughs) no one told you no one told us (laughs) no one asked us and so we, we realized we're sort of stuck doing this because at the time, you know, how many networks were there? Um, so we, we, we said yes, and we spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday writing, creating it, developing it, rather, and writing it, and had no idea what we were going to do. The original show had taken place in a test kitchen for like a Denny's restaurant, and we were turning it into a magazine where Brooke was going to be the uh, the editor for a romance novelist played by Elizabeth Ashley, and um, the uh, uh, by the time we finished the script, we were dead. <laughs> and we walk in, and suddenly they start giving us notes as if we've been writing this for a hundred years. So we do the read through. Everybody's killing at it. It's great. And then suddenly we start getting these notes. And there was one guy in particular. I don't see the character doing this. And I was like, who the hell are you? And what do you mean you didn't see the character? We created it yesterday. And, uh, but we ended up putting the show together 
editing it, turning it in within two weeks. And then we heard it was picked up on the fall schedule to follow Seinfeld. That's quite a feat, sir. It was great. That's quite a feat. And uh, so that was that was all good. But then they decided to replace us because the quote was Warren didn't connect with Jane and me. When did he, when was your time to connect? <laughs> and uh, so years later, this actually made me laugh. I got a, I got a, uh, I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but it's in the book. Uh, uh, I got a phone call from Steve Peterman who had replaced us. And he said, Billy, would you call me back immediately? Uh, it's something I've got to ask you. And I thought they're going to screw us out of the money. They screwed us out of our develop my, uh, develop my credit. Now they're going to screw us out of the money. That's probably what he's calling about. So I call him back, see what's, what, what is it? Are you making more money off the show than we are? I was like, what? He said, we just got the audit because everybody has to audit everybody because they always rob us. And, um, and it was prorated according to how much of the show you owned. And Jane and I were paying substantially more for the audit than Steve and Gary were. And uh, I said, I don't know what you're making off the show. And he said, well, I'll tell you, you know, and he tells me. And he said, are you making more than me? I said, well, yes, I am. And I hear him go, God damn it. <laughs> and I said, uh, he said, I had to work for three full years to get my back in. How long did you have to work? Six months? I said, uh, two weeks. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> there was a little satisfaction in that. I mean, you had a better agent <laughs> than we, he did. That's basically what that means. Yeah, we had a great agent. But also we were, you know... It was two weeks before the upfronts back in New York. They didn't really have a choice. Right, right. Yeah, you were in a good position. Yeah. And now I want to talk about a pilot that you did for Penny Marshall. And I know Penny a little. And your depiction of her is so great. Because (laughs) Penny, more than anybody else that I've ever met, whined and mumbled. I mean, everybody in the Gary Marshall family, they all talk like this and they all, and uh, when it's, it's like infectious because when you're around those people, I know Heidi Perlman used to do that and Sam Simon used to do that. And so I'd be in a, a writing room at Gracie Films and they'd be going, I think this joke is really funny. Yeah, I really love this. I think we're in good shape. But add to that, you couldn't even understand Penny. I couldn't. I couldn't understand her at all. It was so frustrating. We met her for the first time at CBS while we were pitching the pilot. Penny had bought the rights to a show that was very successful in England called Waiting for God. And Olympia Dukakis was hired to play the lead. And Jane and I were hired to write it. So we go to pitch the thing at CBS and uh, Les Moonves and, and, you know, 400 people are standing there for the pitch. And we, we were pitching the show and everybody's doing their laughing thing. And Penny would say something and the room would be silent. And you'd see people looking at each other like, what did she say? <laughs> and eventually you would start just laughing, assuming she said something funny. We had no idea what she said, but we'd laugh. And then we got outside and Olympia, who I can understand very clearly, said, what the hell just happened in there? I said, we just sold the show. She said, we did. All I heard was a lot of people nervous laughing at things that weren't funny. I said, well, that's part of the, part of the bit. <laughs> 
and she said, just answer me one other thing. What the fuck was Penny Marshall saying? I couldn't understand a goddamn word. <laughs> and that was Penny Marshall. But I will say she was sharp as a tack in terms of what worked and what didn't work. There was one day we were shooting a scene and Jane and I were back in the office at that point. We got a phone call to come down to the set. And I walk in and our director is saying, okay, Michael, I'd like you to enter from over here. And he points to the door on the left and behind him, I see Penny Marshall waving her hands, no, and pointing at the other door. So Michael goes to the other door, not where the director told him to stand. And at that point, uh, the director comes over to us and says, I'm quitting. She's been doing this all morning. And I said, well, and Jane immediately, uh, Jane, Jane had no problem talking to anybody about anything. Penny, what are you doing? Well, the, you know, the little guy from Warner Brothers told me to come down here and do this. And so we called up David Gentilari at Warner Brothers and said, what are you doing? He said, well, she's a big director. I thought we'd t- take advantage of yeah, it. Thanks. Said, thanks, David. Yeah, I said, yeah. well, Richard Mulligan just threatened to quit. The director threatened to quit. Uh, you know, let's stop doing that. And he said, okay. And so we go back to the set and we realize Penny was right. It was funnier with him coming from the other door. <laughs> and we moved him over. And the same thing happened to me in the editing room. I would start to edit things the way I liked it. And Penny said, what if we do this? I said, no, we tried that. It didn't work. And I walked out of the room to get another Coke. And I come back in. And uh, the, the editors moved things around. And suddenly it's done the way she wanted it. And damn, if it wasn't better. She was good. Hmm. And the show didn't get on, as is the case with most pilots that you do things that, that you yeah that you're really proud of and yeah. they don't get on and then you look at what does get on and you just go what the fuck <laughs> yeah there was a there was a season where cbs i guess was too too much known as the uh the old people's network so they tried to do very young stuff and we did a show with david crumholtz called staten island 10309 and it was sort of a, a high school thing. And it was really good. But it was too young for CBS. It didn't work. So the next year, here we are doing this show that takes place in a nursing home, basically, uh, not adult, adult community. And somebody, again, accused CBS of being the old people's network. And to prove they weren't, they didn't pick us up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I know. And you worked, did you do, you did George and Leo, right? Yeah, we helped out on George and Leo, which was, that was the, the one, they one that they picked up. But yeah. that had the two bigger TV sitcom stars in Bob Newhart yeah. and, uh, and Judd Hirsch. But during that period when CBS said, we're going to young it up, yeah. David and I, my partner David Isaacs and I, had an idea basically that starred young people. And our agent said, well, you know, they love you at CBS. You should pitch at CBS. I said, they're never going to do this at CBS. It's way <laughs> yeah. too young for them at CBS. So he said, eh, okay, let, we'll go to lunch. We'll go to lunch with, with CBS and just kind of, kind of drop it into the conversation and sort of see if they respond to it. So we said, okay, and we went out to lunch with the VP of Comedy Development, and we slipped it in, and, uh, and she said, okay, great, we'll do it, we'll buy it. And I'm going, you don't want this show. 
This is not for you. And they go, no, 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 we're going to be young this time. We're gonna... I said, really, you don't want this show. And they said, no, no, we do, but yeah, do it. So, yeah. okay, we had a sale. We wrote the script. We went through the whole process. At the end of the day, they didn't pick it up because, you know, it's, it's a little bit too young. Yeah. So then the next year, we get a call from CBS saying, you know, we had second thoughts about that pilot. So we want to redevelop it a little bit, but basically we want to do the same pilot. So we said, okay. And it was like wow. Charlie Brown and the football. So wow. we did the draft and we went through all the notes and everything else. And at the end of the day, they went, nah, nah, it's just too young for us. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, before I let you go, I, I want to talk a little bit, uh, about Jane and this story has a very unhappy ending in that Jane passed away earlier this year. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. She died in February and, uh, we still have, I, I still haven't been able to, to grieve because we haven't been able to hold a service yet because of where we are. Sure. Um, Jane and I were together 46 years. And, um, and we, I didn't, I never, I, ne I think everybody around here, nobody thought she was going to go. She had a pancreatic cancer, which is horrible, but we kept getting these false hope things of, you take this one pill and, you know, and she chemoed and chemoed and chemoed until her body just gave out. Um, but it was, it's still surreal to me. Um, I mean, we were not just not just writing partners we were just you know you know you'd been through a lot together, together yeah you know mm -hmm. uh, we're family we're you know she's my sister she's whatever um and um i'm not quite sure how i go on at this point the nice thing about having a writing partner is there's always i don't now i don't know who i'm going to blame if somebody doesn't like the jokes there's <laughs> always her but um so this is, is a very, very hard time for me. Um, this book, I, I started writing before she got sick. And um, she was here through the whole book. And she, she helped me. She picked the pictures that went in the book. And she, she corrected a couple of stories. And um, so I feel like this is a tribute to her in a way. I did not talk about her death at the end of the book. I didn't think it. I didn't, you know, funny story, funny story. And then she dies. It just didn't feel right. Right. Sure. Um, and, um, and honestly, in, until the moment she died, I didn't think she was, she was going. Um, I kept telling her, you, you can't go. No, you got to be here to do my funeral. No one else is going to know how to do it. And, uh, but her, her family, her sister, her four sisters and I are, are, are we're all family. And, uh, we've all been here for each other. And her, her boyfriend, Shelly Jensen, uh, TV director, everybody might know. Um, it's been rough on him, and um, so I'm not I'm not quite sure what's next. Uh, but uh, I, I do miss her very, very much. You working on other projects? We have. This is weird. She was she refused to give up at all. We worked up until the time she died. We have three spec pilots that we wrote the time she was sick, and they're the three best things we've ever done. Uh -huh. And, and uh, so I'm not sure what I'm doing with those. Um, we have uh, we've had 25 plays floating around the world. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Not now. Right now, all the shows yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. 
But, um, but we have 25 uh, plays, one of which is uh, we were touring for about two years and we'll continue touring. It's called The Boomer Boys. And um, so right now, I, because I've got The Boomer Boys and that's still part of Jane and me, I feel like we're just continuing where we were and it doesn't feel like I have to make any drastic change yet, you know? Um, but, uh, it's, it's rough. It's going to be rough. I think. Well, the book, like I said, is a terrific read. And, uh, if you, you don't even have to want to be a writer. If you're interested at all in just what the TV business is like and what we go through, uh, it's, it's just a terrific example of, the life of a writer and billy thank you very much for being here being my first my guinea pig my first zoom interview god i hope you hit record uh, i did hit record but <laughs> <laughs> we we were 15 minutes late people because uh i didn't know how to start the meeting and uh we had to shut down 15 times so you know it's like yeah let a couple of boomers try to figure this thing out there you go this was fun (laughs) thanks billy appreciate it all right take care you too And that will do it for this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to Billy Van Zant, And once again, his book is called Get in the Car, Jane. And you can find it at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Are books being sold anywhere these days? Anyway, uh, our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. Do you want to get in touch with me? Well, I have an email address, and I will answer you back. Just write me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Other than that, what can I say? I want a five-star review. Uh, If you find it in your heart, please subscribe to this podcast. Please stay safe, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the fine.